Hello and welcome to the CGF Sustainability Podcast Series. My name is Louise Chester and I work in the communications team at the Consumer Goods Forum. In this series, we take a deep dive into all things sustainability, from forced labor to plastic waste, deforestation, food waste and refrigeration. For today's episode, I'm joined by Chris Daly, Chief Sustainability Officer at PepsiCo Europe. PepsiCo is the exclusive partner of our upcoming Sustainable Retail Summit, which will be taking place both virtually and in person in Paris on the 13th and 14th of October. Chris will be speaking at the event too on circular economy and packaging design. So I wanted to catch up with Chris ahead of the event to get his thoughts on all things sustainability, health, retail, and much more. So let's welcome Chris. So hello, Chris. Thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome to the CGF podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. And it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much for the invitation. Wonderful. So perhaps the the logical starting point would be for, for you to tell our listeners a bit more about PepsiCo's work on sustainability. Yeah, great. I mean, I think um, PepsiCo is like all companies, you know, we've all been through a growth journey on sustainability. Um, and if I look at where we are today, I think we're in a really good place. But of course, you know, 20 years ago, we were a company that was internally focused on sustainability. Over the years, we've kind of learned, you know, to really understand what our role is, you know, in the food system being a large company. I think, um, you know, that comes with two things. One, just a, you know, an overall understanding of the science behind sustainability, where, you know, over the last, you know, five years in particular, I think our understanding there has gone, you know, from, from kind of very average levels to really, really thorough levels now of understanding. But then I think also, and maybe more importantly, we have a much better understanding of the responsibilities that come with being a big company. And I think to some extent, you know, this was, this kind of reached its pinnacle last week when we announced something that we call PepsiCo Positive, which was, you know, announcement of kind of our approach to sustainability. And unlike previous announcements, which had come with new goals and new announcements about what we were going to do, uh, we didn't have too much of that because largely we have bold ambitions already. But what last week's announcement was about was the fact that we are putting sustainability at the core of our growth uh, and at the core of creating value for stakeholders. And, you know, that is a pivot because, you know, it's taken kind of the last 20 years of learning and growth to get to this point where now sustainability is very much embedded in the way we think about the strategy of our of the future of this company. Brilliant. Thanks so much for that overview. And I, I know that you're going to be speaking, Chris, soon at, our, at a session at our Sustainable Retail Summit called Circular Economy in Action, Waste by Design. So could we dig in a little bit to, to PepsiCo's work on circular packaging? What, what have you been doing in that space? Well, you know, it's hard to be a consumer packaged goods company without really treating this uh, very seriously. Yeah. Think, you know, if we, you know, if, if we, we have to recognize that the permissibility of our business is very much driven by us making our packaging circular going forward. And of course, there are many potential routes to getting circular packaging. Um, but we've been making good progress, I think, within our business. And I, you know, the first point I would say is that I look after the sustainability agenda for the European business as the CSO of that business. And, you know, that business stretches from the Atlantic to Vladivostok. Um, and so, you know, there's a wide range of different kinds of, you know, market challenges within 
in that uh, that very broad geography that I look after. Uh, but even still, with all of that diversity, uh, I feel privileged to be operating in the European context because I think the idea of circular packaging is you know, nowhere else in the world more feasible and more possible in the short term than here in Europe. So I think you know, kind of living in this very, 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 very strong environment is helpful. Now, the progress we've been making, I think, is you know, kind of reflects that environment that we work in. So you know, we have really two kinds of primary packaging, and they're both very different, just like the, the diversity of the geographies. Our packaging has some you know, kind of diverse challenges with it. Uh, you know, our biggest, you know, plastic package that we put into the market is our, our iconic beverage bottle. Um, and that's about 75% of the plastic that we put out there into the market. And we've been making good progress in Europe in recent years. We now have 11 markets, or will have by the end of 22, 11 markets where brand Pepsi is available in, uh, in, in you know, 100% recycled PET bottles. So, you know, effectively, those are circular bottles. We've taken the one-way package and turned it into a circular package. Uh, and that's great. So, you know, from a PepsiGo standpoint, point on beverage packaging we're feeling really good about it our goal is to make you know kind of 100% circular or 100% or EP uh, sorry or pet uh, inclusive packaging across the EU by 25 and then across all of our geography by uh, by 2030 so getting to that kind of circularity but that's PepsiCo circularity and of course we operate in an industry and in the market and to the extent that we're at 100% circularity and the industry is at 30% circularity i still think that's no good and so you know kind of another kind of big element of what we're doing, of course, is trying to build out that infrastructure around us. And clearly we are big supporters of, you know, well-run deposit return schemes. Uh, and if you look at Europe now, you've got about seven markets that are currently in the process of working through a deposit return system for implementation in the near future. And there's about 10 more behind that that are lining up for it. Now there's absolute evidence that, you know, once you implement a deposit return system that the, um, recyclability of PET packaging goes from, you know, an average of, you know, 60% to 90%. So you get a huge increase in the amount of circularity within, within the packaging category. Um, and, you know, that's very important as well as that you also get better quality of PET and therefore the whole conversion efficiency, et cetera, getting it back into the bottle again is that much better. So, you know, really the two steps are, you know, designing very well. And if you think, you know, if, if you think about, you know, kind of the golden rules of design, I think, you know this is exactly what we do you just design the right kind of bottle for full circularity putting you know 100 recycled content into it and then you, you you make sure the system also is circular and you you promote that circularity so that's been working very well for us on beverages and we feel really really encouraged by the speed at which we've been able to do that because we've been able to move much much faster than we we, we otherwise would have done if you look at our other main package, which you know is very different in terms of weight, uh, but has a huge number of impressions going into the market, and that's our our, our chip uh, chip bag uh, that we put out there. And this is you know unlike you know PET, which is a very strong economic model for recycling, the chip bag absolutely doesn't. All the things that make it very effective at doing its job as being a, a packaging for potato chips and you know many other things um, make it you know kind of very inefficient from a circularity standpoint. We've taken a lot of the um, We've taken a lot of the learnings that we've got from PET um, and, and, and the transition of our beverage portfolio, and we've applied those to our Flex packaging piece. We've worked closely with CFlex, which is the organization that, you know, kind of brings all of the brand owners together to try to drive circularity in Flex packaging. We're introducing an awful lot of the recommendations that have come from that group, which we think are terrific. Uh, and actually, later this year, we'll have a, 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 you know, kind of a much more structured approach to how we're addressing our, our flexible uh, packaging circularity, and we'll have a similar 
similar type of journey that we've kind of already launched within our beverage business and we'll bring that to our to, to our flex packaging so so more on that to come but you know in both areas we feel really really good about you know where we are currently on driving the future circularity of our product Oh, super. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear about that variety of challenges that, you know, you within your company are are sort of dealing with and and good to hear that you're taking and learning from some examples regarding some types of plastic and are trying to apply them to other packaging. That's that's brilliant. And yeah, some fantastic progress being made by the sounds of things. So on to my next topic, and that is carbon neutrality. It's obviously a huge, huge topic this year um, ahead of COP26 later on in a couple of months and of course a massive priority for for our industry. Could you tell me a bit about how you're working towards this at PepsiCo? Yeah I think you know I you know, we, 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 we've taken this, you know, extremely seriously. There's no question about this, that this is a very different journey than, than on packaging. Um, and, and to be honest with you, the way we, we think about our sustainability agenda in general is that a lot, you know, of our activity will happen on packaging initially, while the seeds are grown for uh, driving, you know, our um, emissions reduction um, in parallel to that. But, you know, once the packaging is done, we'll start seeing all of the focus going on to the climate agenda. But, you know, if you look at this, uh, this agenda, I think it's interesting, and I think it falls into three horizons. I think the, the, the first uh, kind of horizon is all of the things that we can actually do today that, you know, we can just step into, we can focus on them, we can kind of make them happen. So whether this is already 100, moving to 100% renewable electricity, whether, you know, it's putting recycled content into our packaging. Um, these are things that we can tackle today and we get results today. So these are the things that we have, have been doing. And largely, I think, you know, within our European context, at least, all of those items are largely done for us now. We'll sort of end this year or we have that kind of horizon one kind of work already done. Um, so, you know, great that we're getting on with that and that's good. The, the, the back end horizon, horizon three, which is probably in the last five years of this decade, those are the things, those are the time when we start seeing all of the work we're doing on climate today start to take fruition and start seeing the benefits of that coming through. So if you think through all the work we're doing right now on kind of rolling out regenerative agriculture, um, on all the work we're doing on um, kind of um, organic fertilizers for, for use within our potatoes. Uh, all the work that uh, we're doing uh, in terms of trying to move to renewable thermal energy within our manufacturing processes. All the work we're doing on trying to build a book and claim system for, or to promote a book and claim system for transportation in Europe. We think that, you know, all of those things take time. And therefore, even though we're working hard on those today, we don't really see any benefits of those today. So kind of we've moved from this horizon one, we're preparing for this horizon three and then in the middle you've got this horizon two and horizon two is part of the journey where you know this is where the benefits of you know the industry working together you know kind of need to happen well and it's part of the journey that we're now stepping into which is you know ultimately all the work that we have done in our business will hopefully be to the benefit of all of our customers who are actively tracking their carbon footprints of their portfolio etc and trying to make things work so just as our customers are getting the benefit of the work we're doing we also need to get the benefit that our suppliers are bringing and you know as a large company we have also very large suppliers many of whom are 
on exactly the same journey as we're currently on. Um, and so it's uh, this whole area of trying to kind of uh, be able to track all of the changes that are happening across that value chain, that becomes the key focus, you know, of this second interim horizon, um, which will feed, you know, kind of the, the, the carbon emissions reduction for the next three to four years within our, our European business. Um, and, and, you know, two examples of that would be, you know, if you take something like, um, just going back to packaging, if you take packaging, within packaging, um, the there is a huge amount of electrical energy actually used. And obviously the transition to ORE 100 uh, and renewable electricity is relatively affordable today. Therefore, you know, as our suppliers transition into that, that will mean that the carbon footprint of the packaging that we're using to, 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 to put um, our, you know, Pepsi beverages into, that packaging will have a lower footprint and we'll capture that within our overall footprint as well. Likewise, if you think about the coolers that we sell our products in, you know, to the extent that our retailers are, you know, kind of using renewable energy, renewable electricity uh, to power those, those coolers, which are already fairly well designed in terms of trying to reduce the amount of energy they would actually use and have been for a long time. But as we transition to energy usage being renewable, that's another benefit that also feeds into to our value chain uh, carbon emissions. So um, by working with you know, both our customers and our suppliers and capturing some of the work that they're doing in these spaces and trying to help and promote you know, kind of the different transitions, that will help us to kind of build out this second part, which for me is actually the most challenging part because I think this is sort of the least defined area and clearly this whole area of carbon accounting and the transfer of information between contracting parties, et cetera, that, that's still quite complex. So um, this is the phase that we currently find ourselves in this, this, this middle phase. Brilliant. Yeah, thank, thank you for sharing um, on that. It's, as you said, I mean, you're doing so much groundwork now and you will start to see it coming to, to fruition. Um, interesting too, what you said about collaboration within, within the industry with suppliers, with other, with other companies. I imagine um, to share knowledge is such a huge piece of that, of that jigsaw puzzle. So my next question, I wanted to shift gears and talk about health and wellness. It's also a huge part of this year's agenda at SRS. Um, I know that PepsiCo is is co-chairing our work in the in the USA to to ensure that health is inclusive. And so, I just wanted to hear from you what PepsiCo has been doing to to nudge consumers to make healthier choices. Yeah, it's a great question. I, you know, I think. Um this is the future i you know i i think we we're at the point now where you know we're about to enter you know a decade possibly two decades of what i think will be radical change within uh within the whole space of what consumers are actually consuming and buying and i think they'll be they'll, they'll be making much more informed choices going forward i think it's fair to say that you know consumers have never been you know as aware of the impact of their choices uh, choices you know, on them, uh, the impacts for themselves, but also the impacts for the planet as well. So there's kind of health and wellness dimension. There's also a planetary dimension to this. Um, and I think, you know, coming out of COVID in particular, that's never been more true. And therefore, I think we are at a point of pivot where, you know, consumers will be looking, you know, kind of for more informed choices going forward. So when you think about, you know, what we're doing as a business, I think, you know, maybe it starts with something that we haven't actually done yet, but, you know, we're in the process of, of, of working through which is, you know, much more transparency for consumers and what they're buying. So, you know, kind of making sure that consumers have good nutritional information that's easy to understand on the package and also good environmental information as well so that they can make, you know, the choice with those two dimensions in mind. So 
clear transparency so for the consumers so they know what they're doing, step number one. Now, obviously, once you have that transparency, the good thing about that transparency is it then drives action from everybody in the industry and including ourselves, because, you know, when consumers start making choices that are more informed and, you know, are, you know, depending on the day, a better choice or a more indulgent choice, that will start to drive then the need to kind of meet those consumer demands, which become more transparent. And so as a result of that, you know, growing our portfolio of products, you know, to be able to offer, you know, really great tasting snacks using new technologies today that maybe we didn't have available previously that can offer more taste than before, while at the same time giving, you know, a, a good nutritional uh, credentials for the product. That's basically where the work begins. Now, earlier this year, during the summer, within our European business, we announced that, you know, kind of as part of the European Code of Conduct, we would build a $1 billion healthier snack business by the end of the, uh, the decade. Uh, and that's clearly our intent. Our focus is very much on let's build great tasting, healthier snacks so consumers can, can, can enjoy those. But again, you know, at the center of that is really well-informed choices. Nothing's been very transparent about what, you know, what consumers are consuming. As a result of that, what I would say is the, the opportunity for growth is huge because, uh, I, you know, you can, you can look at that nutritional dimension. You can also add to it a, a, an environmental dimension. And all of a sudden, the opportunity for retailers, whether it's online or in store, to create um, you know, opportunity to store to help consu help consumers to make those better choices by having you know using non-plastic aisles or carbon you know carbon net zero aisles or you know kind of healthier AB products on NutriScore. Uh, as you start you know having the opportunities to guide consumers to those choices, you can potentially reshape the way you know kind of industries have grown previously. And I think I think this is the exciting part of this agenda, this, this pivot that we're currently on. Coming out of COVID, clearly very beneficial because consumers are much more aware of those choices that and the impacts of those choices. And I think now, as a as, you know, as a consumer goods company, our ability to step into and get closer to what consumers are really looking for is is much easier to do now than it has ever been. And this is a question, Chris, that obviously wasn't on our list. Just wanted to ask you whether you do you think that COVID has had a big impact then on on what consumers want in terms of uh, healthier snacks are they you you mentioned they're becoming more aware have you sort of seen that um in a big way i think i think we've seen two things i think we've definitely seen consumers you know have a better understanding of the health implications of their choices i think that's absolutely true but i think it's equally true that we've also seen consumers have a much better understanding of their supply chain and the result of that is that consumers you know, now sort of they understand a little bit more about the complexity of how things happen. And as a result of that, there's an indication that they're willing to pay a little bit more for, you know, kind of products that, you know, have good sustainability credentials, which for European consumers was never really that uh, that evident before, because they still have a very strong view and always have had that, you know, it's the, the brand owner's responsibility to make sure that products, you know, are, are, are produced sustainably. Um, so I think we're seeing a little bit of shift. I see it much more as a shift of understanding and a shift of um, kind of really having a bit of a realization of the impact of choices. Uh, and that's definitely, you know, that's definitely noticeable. Mm. 
Yeah, super. I mean, sometimes I wonder whether in five years we will have shifted back, you know, if this is just if these sort of effects of COVID are, are temporary, but we, sh- we shall see, won't we? Time will tell. And um, anyway, <laughs> so moving on to to sort of our, our personal opinions on things, I want to hear from you, Chris, about what you think are the big challenges and perhaps the opportunities too that you foresee for the industry going forwards. Yeah, I mean, uh, as we've just talked about, I think the 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 opportunities are probably bigger than the challenges. If you look at the the sustainability and the nutrition agendas, and you take both together, I think um, they present great opportunities. Um, and if you're if you're in a position where you're embracing those opportunities, I think you know it's it's only good news going forward. There's no question about it that you know any type of change is going to kind of be be you know challenging for business so I, I think we're stepping into a point where you know business will have a lot of work to go and do and if you look at sustainability in general whether you're talking about climate or even talking about you know kind of what we've been talking about which is kind of you know changing yeah, nutritional credentials of products all of those require you know kind of bigger change than we've probably been through with supply chain over the last you know kind of 10 or 20 years where the changes have been big but you know have been somewhat incremental or around the edges um and so i think you know businesses need to be aware the change is going to be big they're going to have to be doing a lot of work and that's important um but i see those changes as being you know kind of the changes that we would do all the time Uh, it's simply that now it's coming at great intensity and businesses need to be prepared for that one of the challenges with the 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 uh, sustainability agenda and in particular the climate agenda is that you know many of the solutions that will be the long-term solutions are not currently in play uh, and won't be in play you know uh for the next kind of 10 to 15 years, if you think about, you know, hydrogen as a, as a supply source, etc. And that means that a lot of the time when you're building solutions for the near term on, on sustainability and climate uh, change in particular, you've got to be thinking about transitional solutions that ultimately, you know, kind of will evolve to something, you know, that's different in the future. Um, but, you know, the bigger challenge as a business is, you know, how do you step into this? How do you make it happen in the near term? without making the long-term, putting the long-term at risk. Um, I think it's, there's never been a more exciting time to be, to be in business, to be honest with you. And when you think about this being the challenge of business today, and you think about what the benefits of the business addressing these challenges actually are, there's actually much more purpose to strategy today than there ever has been, I think. So it's, uh, these are fun times. Well, I absolutely love that. Very uh, frank, honest and yet positive roundup of of your vision. Um, So finally, Chris, what are your hopes? And perhaps this just links very closely to the previous question. But what are your hopes for the industry and the planet in the next decade? Hey, look, you know, I think I think it's I'll speak for Europe because I I really do think that we have we have a great environment in Europe to make real change happen. And I'd like to see Europe at the front of that, truthfully. Um, but as I think about it, certainly a world where, you know, kind of we, we eliminate packaging waste would be would be essential for me. Um, I, I see no reason why we can't make that happen. And OK, maybe we won't be quite 100 percent of the way there. But if we're not substantially done by the end of this decade, I would be horrified. I think, you know, the opportunity exists definitely to fix the packaging problem. So, um, you know, kind of as retail and as brand owners, I think we have we have that responsibility and we should own it. Secondly, I think, you know, from a climate perspective, which is perhaps, you know, for us in Europe, the, the, the biggest, you know, kind of kind of issue of all. Um, but all 
also one where we're fairly well set up to be able to address it, largely because we've got, you know, kind of great regulation, you know, great, you know, retail industry that's really behind, you know, science-based targets on, on, on climate change, uh, as well as brand owners like ourselves. Uh, I think, you know, kind of, we have the ability to make change happen. It will be tough. I think we have to learn how to work together. Today, there's absolutely no no uh, issue with people wanting to work together. It's just how to make that process efficient as we talked about earlier. But I think, you know, sort of hitting our, you know, kind of interim Paris goals will be important by 2030. Uh, so those are the two things that I'd really like to see happen. But the third thing that is, is of course, you know, kind of the big change that I think will happen will be kind of, you know, consumers awareness and, you know, kind of transparency. I, I think, consumer choice is everything. And I think we need to offer consumers that full range of choice from, you know, indulgent products to products that are really good for them, but also are environmentally friendly. Um, I'd like to see, you know, kind of if we plotted the portfolio of the world today, um, or at least the European world today, uh, and where it is and where it's going to be by 2030, I'd like to see that, you know, kind of having moved, you know, kind of to much better for the planet and much better for individual nutrition. And I think if we could see changes in those areas within you know, this decade, that would be outstanding. And I, I really think we have the opportunity. And I think that retail in particular, you know, has has such an opportunity to shape the future because of course, to some extent, retail are the gatekeepers of, of you know, kind of what consumers buy. Um, and therefore, you know, if I think through the great work that um, Walmart has done on, on, on the Gigaton project, for example, you know, they've really set a bar very high for people to be able to engage with them. And I think, you know, kind of, broader retail community can have similar approach going forward to accelerate the speed of change that we'll see across uh, across businesses over the coming decade. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much, Chris, for taking the time today to share your, your thoughts with us. It's been extremely insightful for me and our listeners, I'm, I'm sure. And I look forward to hearing even more from you at SRS in a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks very much indeed, Louise. If you would like to continue the conversation with Chris at the Sustainable Retail Summit in just a couple of weeks' time, you can find out more about the event and register directly on our website at www.tcgfsrs.com. You will also find on our website more information about our coalitions of action and their work on sustainability. If you liked this episode, please do subscribe for more episodes coming very soon. Thank you and see you next time.